1: Listen in to discover how God is working in their church plan. You know, when I have a large project at home, sometimes it makes sense to do it by myself. At other times, I actually save money in the long term and have a much better solution if I use an expert. It's really not that much different with church planning. Church planners who focus on building their core team and actually planting the church and partner with portability experts like Portable Church Industries, hit the ground running. Yes, you may have to raise more funds up front, but let me tell you something. If I could go back in a time machine and do one thing different in all the churches that I planted, I would go back and have invested that money in Portable Church and all of the super cool kit that they give you to make the volunteers and their lives much, much easier. Trust me, your volunteers will feel invested in, and they're going to give you more of what they got. And that time where people are setting up is going to be a time where it sets the atmosphere for you to thrive. If you're thinking about launching in the next six to 36 months, we encourage you to check them out at PortableChurch.com. Hey, Church Planner, welcome to Hardcore Church Planning. This is your host, Peyton Jones, and with me today is a guest by the name of Mickey Kaysen. Mickey is the response director on the ground in Houston right now for Sin Relief. Many people don't know that the Sin Network has two major branches. One of them is Sin Relief that serves people during disasters. The uh, Southern Baptist, as far as I'm sure, Mickey will tell us more. Is, uh, ranked, um, I believe second in, in, in America, uh, next to the Red Cross. I mean, it's kind of a big deal. And then on top of that, um, you've got, uh, the church planning wing. And the reason that NAM does this, North American Mission Board, is they believe that at the heart of it, the way to reach people is to serve them. And so uh, Mickey's gonna show where I was wrong on that and how I've gotten it all backwards, and he's gonna unpack what Nam really thinks. But that's my take on it. That's why I got him on <laughs> here. And hey, this is my show, dang it! But uh, anyways, <laughs> Mickey, welcome onto the show today.
0: Well, thank you. I'm honored to be able to be here and share with y'all. I'm really excited about what God is doing. Sin Network that has been working and and is beginning to function fabulously. A lot of things are going on there. Uh, North American Mission Board, as you said, is standing up sin relief, and sin relief is the other side of that. You know, the Lord gave us a great commission to go make disciples, and then he also gave us the command to care for and love on, take care of each other. And so as a part of that process, we're bringing those two things together at the North American Mission Board, where we're caring for people and we're planting churches.
1: It's fantastic. And here's here's the deal, is um, just some of the latest stats. I mean, you guys mobilize. You guys have a a really cool command center in Atlanta and Alpharetta, um, Georgia. I've been in it. It feels like, you know, war games when you're a kid, you know, like, shall we play a game? You know, the... There, you're in this big command center. It's really cool. There's, like, satellite feeds going on. I mean, it's it's like when you see the underground bunker, you know, and the president's down there calling, you know, how we're going to fight off the aliens. It's pretty cool. And uh, and I've been able to be in there and, and, you know, see, like, the little yellow hard hats that you guys hand out, and it's pretty cool. But uh, with Harvey, Irma, and Maria, so far this year, you guys have seen 416 professions of faith two thousand four hundred and seventy three gospel conversations because you're Baptists. Ba- Baptists record these things. That's one one thing the Baptist really gets writing everything down. Two point sixty four million meals served and sixty one thousand and twenty nine volunteer Daves served. That's incredible. Tell me a little bit about uh just in general what you've seen on the ground because you are the response director of uh, for Texas, we know that that Texas was hit pretty hard, and you're based in Houston. You were telling me you're in a, you've been there for two months. You're in an RV in First Baptist Church uh, of Houston parking lot. Um, tell me what you guys have seen. I mean, you can start anywhere. The devastation that was there. What the response looks like on the ground.
0: Well, if we start off with the command center, you said, in working with our state convention partners, we're able to know what's going on, as well as our national partners like the American Red Cross and FEMA, state emergency managers, those kind of guys. So we, we are aware of what's happening, what's developing, and we're beginning to mobilize even before the storm hits, uh, especially with hurricanes. We're able to plan ahead. Our, as a part of that process, we worked with the two state conventions that are in Texas, and as a part, we were able to mobilize a number of, of mobile units across the United States and begin to serve. I came in, brought our mobile command post, set it up, as you said, at Houston's First Baptist Church, and we began to stand up sin relief. Well, sin relief is a component of, of the North American Mission Board that gives us the privilege to, to mobilize or to move uh, churches and volunteers that are wanting to come that are not trained in disaster relief. And so we're able to use them. What I found here, though, was these churches were doing an outstanding job. They were mobilizing their own members. They were out serving in their communities, not just their own members, but uh, serving the communities and beginning to clean out and muck out homes. Well, after about a week or so, those people had to go to work. They had to get back to their homes that were damaged, and we had to get back to their businesses that were damaged. And so we were able to stand up on over 1,600 volunteers in Houston now that were able to mobilize and begin to move and clean out homes and things like that. Well, it's a part of that process, one of the things that we like to do is when we're in a person's home, we will offer to pray with them and pray for them. They often ask questions like, who are y'all? Why are you here? How much are they paying you to do? And we've taught our volunteers, you go to Jesus when they ask those questions. We're here because of the Lord's command to us to love our neighbor, to help our neighbor, and they share the gospel and praying for people. And so we have an opportunity to impact not only the physical needs, but their spiritual needs in that process. One of the things that often happens is we're privileged to be the first ones to hear their stories, what their events were like. I was talking to one of our team leaders today. They were talking to a mother and a seven year old child that had to be lifted out by helicopter when their community flooded and picked off their roof by helicopter. those child that child and that lady had a, a tremendous story to share. And in that process, the gospel was shared with them as well. So we take those opportunities to lift up Christ, yeah, you know that that's an important part of who we are.
1: Yeah. And I love that because what, what it, what happens on the ground, I would imagine is that what you're able to do. Yes, it creates those gospel conversations, but you're actually able not just to go help people, just to share the gospel. You actually become literally the embodiment of the grace of God to these people. Like, even if all you've done is feed them, Jesus says, you've done that for me. Even if all you've been able to do is put clothes on their back, Jesus says, you've done that for me. Not only is it done in his name, but it also is a picture to the world of what Christianity is. And let's be honest, we've got a bad rap. There's bad branding out there. This is a rebranding, but it's biblical Christianity. It is literally what the church did in Rome and in Jerusalem, you know, Paul, Paul, when he goes on his journey, he collects money for relief for the famine. You know, I mean, people don't realize the social implications of the gospel. Yes. But probably my favorite thing is that when this happens on a local level, like let's say in Texas, or let's say it hits somewhere in Florida, or it hits, what your team is able to do, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, I'm sure you can unpack this, but... What you're actually able to do is to provide localized mission opportunities for the everyday average believer, because really that's what you guys do. You, you go into an area and you don't go right. We've got, we've brought with us 12,000 people. You're utilizing the volunteer workforce of the local church in that area. So it's actually building and sustaining and starting local relationships for the church to be the church in that community
0: is that right you're you're exactly right and it's happening multiple times there is not only the fact that we are we're here from other parts of the country but the eyes and ears and the knowledge and understanding of the community it's in those local churches that we're involved with or that we're working and partnering with. And so they give us great insights. Now, we become a tool for them as well in that process. As we find those professions of faith, we turn them over to local churches that have the opportunity to follow up with them. When that happens, they become assimilated into the church. And many times, if we've got skilled church planters that are a part of the community community, are part of the local area that we're working with, they're able to go back in and start churches in areas where churches are not there. Anecdotally, I can share with you that there were seven churches started in New York and New Jersey coming out of Hurricane Sandy's response. Mm. And so it's, it's where local churches associations begin to capitalize. We were housed in Sandy for a while uh, in an uh, evangelical free church on Long Island. It's a part of that. We worship with them. We we were a part of their uh, Bible studies, things like that. Our church planner went back to them and in their fellowship hall started a Baptist church. Yep. And that Baptist church now has transitioned out of their fellowship hall into their worship center at a different time than theirs. So we're partnering even with an EV Free Church to start a Southern Baptist church in that environment. And it's interesting to watch those dynamics where people that have a kingdom perspective with a capital K, yeah. they can do things that we're going to capitalize with assimilating individuals. Now, I'll tell you, the thing that breaks my heart is I go into communities and I see where volunteers have won people to Christ through their work and their witness, and local churches never up on them. That crushes mm-hmm. me to think about that, that, that there's, you know, we hand them prospects. We've introduced them to prospects. Uh, those kind of things begin to happen, and if they're not followed up on, they're not assimilated into churches. So that's right. the part that breaks my heart. But the, the the part that I rejoice with is that there are sharp people that are beginning churches out of those experiences that were horrible for a lot of people but they found the gospel, and now they want to be a part of the body of Christ and uh, be a part of the worship and Bible study.
1: That's fantastic. And, you know, it, it's funny, the the six points of separation on this, because I planted a church in the heart of Long Beach, not too far from when the SIN conference uh, went on, just two blocks away. And the gentleman who actually uh, is now leading that is someone by the name of Chris Langham. Chris planted a church after the New Orleans disaster years ago, And it was funny because he was not a Southern Baptist. He actually was brought into the Southern Baptist when I handed off the church to him. And, but he just recently, I put him in touch with someone who is involved with the sin relief and he disclosed, he said, you know, my church that I planted actually was largely a result of the work of sin relief. And he goes, I am so impressed with those guys. So it was, it was kind of like things coming full circle. And now here he is in Long Beach at an SBC church, but just kind of funny, man, how, how that works out that here was a guy that was a Christian, but you know, he plants a church that really the, the SBC has gone and paved the way. Tell me a little bit on the ground what, uh, what you're, what you're able to, why is sin relief? Such a powerful opener for the gospel. What is it that happens psychologically, spiritually, emotionally uh, with the people that are turning to Christ?
0: Well, there's uh, often uh, people I've had say to me recently in the last couple of weeks, you're an answer to my prayers. You people coming in and helping me, is an answer to my prayers. They have others that have said, you know, I thought God had forgot about me. I, I, I just had no idea that God still cared for me. And then when our volunteers step into their homes and begin to share with them and begin to love on them and begin to do the work that they need to begin to recover, it it just brings a different dynamic. you hear their story, you pray with them, you share the gospel. There are those that say, well, I'm already a Christian. I did this years ago, but I need to get back in church. And y'all inspired me to do that. So those things begin to happen. Uh, and and it's, it's the answer to prayer. You're, you're a, a, a valuable tool to me. Uh, you've reminded me of God's love. Those kind of things our volunteers are hearing. Right. Every night, sharing stories. The volunteers get together and they share those stories. Of how God has impacted them as a result of their ministry. That's the other side of this: is the fact that we are winning people to Christ, but you're finding people that say, "I found my mission now. Yes, I can't sing in the choir, I can't preach, hmm. I can't teach Sunday school, but I can do this work, and I have found what I can do, and I'm going to do it for the glory of God."
1: That's such an important part of it, Mickey. And and you know, being a, a an employee of Nam. Um, you know, it's interesting because our symbol, and I was there when we redid it, right? Where it's, it's a straight, you know, longitudinal line and then a kind of slightly bent line and then a chevron, which mm-hmm. implies the pew actually moving into action, which as an apostolic church planner, you know, that's what I'm all about is mobilizing the church out there. So that is, that is a very, like, I'm so glad you brought that up because that is huge that, Christians in that area are going to suddenly be awakened. Their gifts are going to, their gifts of compassion and helps and giving, all these things get awakened and they can't, they can't ever look at their community the same. They, here were these strangers that God put them in a crash collision course with. Yes, And I would yes. imagine, cause I've, I've been on trips like this, I would imagine that when your people are standing around that they're breaking down and crying, it's not just the, the, the people that, or outside the faith, I would imagine that tears are flowing as people are experiencing God's grace and then yes. becoming channels of it. That, that's, that's a holy moment right there.
0: It is. It is. It is. It's such a worship experience to hear these teams talk about their day and what they were able to do and how God loved on them through. Uh, those people that were uh, survivors of this disaster. And so in that process of it developing and they're becoming a part of the work, uh, they're finding themselves. You know, I learned years ago, I served as a local pastor in South Carolina before I, I took the job uh, many years ago, 23 years. I just retired, but 23 years ago. And I learned if you release God's people to do God's work, God's in it. Yep. And empowering them and release them, they begin to do, and God just uses them. It transforms their lives. It gives them ministry. God uses them and it just sets them on fire. They go yep. home better to members. They're willing to do what God wants them to do in their local congregations and look for another opportunity to become involved.
1: I love it, man. And what I really love about this is you've got so many believers out there that you know i interviewed dustin willis um in on his book the simplest way to change the world which is you just you eat with people like that that's you know it's not rocket science like anybody can do this what yeah. i love is this type of mission becomes for many people who are like hey this you know i i i'm not really good at the other stuff but this is like mission for the rest of us Yes. These, i i know people right away that i can think of that this would be their thing like it would absolutely they would get so addicted so i live i i i grew up in california as a christian here and i know guys who don't talk much they 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 they're not very transparent with their emotions but if you want to see the love of god you put a tool in their hands and you set them loose on an orphanage or you, you know what i'm saying like, like yes. It, it becomes uh, uh, an activation of their gifts. So, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm, I should be asking you this stuff. Instead, I'm telling you, but I'm excited. I love this stuff.
0: No, I buy into it. You know, after Hurricane Katrina, uh, I managed a rebuild project down there for almost five years. And uh, we we see coming out of that, the not only you talked about Southern Baptists a moment ago, the whole influence of Southern Baptist shifted dramatically following Katrina and the work that we did in New Orleans. Uh, the The number of churches that were impacted, those that were lost because of damage or the community left and those kinds of things. And then those that began to develop and grow, how powerful that was. But then you see the volunteers that are touching lives and those lives that have been touched transformed as well. So it's both sides of that coin. God is doing something unique when you have an opportunity, you're engaged and you're sharing, God blesses that and it touches your heart in such a powerful way. We're, we're looking at college students. We're planning on a uh, Thanksgiving event with college students in Texas and be in Vitor, Texas. But what we find with college students is God begins to talk to them in a very special way and so you know you you may not have pastors and church planters come out but you do have those that happen like that but in the process you you're able to see them go back and in the vocation that they are in become a part of a church and serve in a church in a different manner because how god has touched their lives in younger years so it's it's powerful
1: it's it's so powerful because i think what any short-term mission trip or anything like this does for the average believers at wrecks them. It wrecks them really for business as usual at church. They have to be on mission once they've done something like this, yes. which yes. is wrecking someone in a good way. And yes. and I, I, I love that. Um, you know, just out of curiosity and, and by the way, let me just speak to this before I ask my next question The the, this generation of you know call millennials call whatever um this next generation coming up they have to see it in action this is actually the kind of christianity that gets heard if you want to be listened to today you have to earn it right like this generation's like hey talk is cheap right we're in the age of social media like you got to you you can't just put oh, my prayer's in love with you on Facebook. Like, that means nothing, you know? It's kind of like where James says, hey, you can't just say to someone, be blessed and well-fed, you know? And he goes, go help them, you know? Go do something. And I think this generation, they're the show-me generation. They're the generation saying, now that's a, particularly those college students, you will probably get unsaved college students coming out to that that end up going, okay, this is Christianity, I get this.
0: Yes, you're exactly right. We see it time and time again when they come with a college group. There are always those that are non-believers in that group that leave believers because of the influence of what happens. You know, I I read some blogs, and, and looking at that, one of the things that I read recently is they don't want a sage on the stage. They want a coach walking beside them, helping them and guiding them heard a story from one college group the other day. They were going out to do some work, and they got into the house, and the crew chief was telling them what to do and how to do it and handing them a hammer. And the kid looked at the hammer and said, you know, I've never held a hammer before. Hmm. And and so as a part of that process, he learned something differently. You know, I, I grew up with a daddy that expected you to do everything. You, you didn't call a, a, a person to come fix something. You fixed it. You figured it out, that kind of stuff. That's not happening with these generations. And so it's a part of showing them and working with them. It's becoming very powerful because it, we're investing in them and they see it. They understand, they get it and they want to, sh- they want to love back as well.
1: That's really powerful. They do. They, they want to go do stuff. So let me, let me ask you this. Um, so I, I'm always fascinated by what you guys bring to the table when you you come down. Now, I've never actually heard what all gets mobilized to an area, but I know it's significant. Like, I, I remember seeing a tweet from uh, Kevin Azelle saying that the wheels are already turning. Like, there were big rigs on the road before the hurricanes hit. Like, you guys are fast in your response. What what's in those trucks? Like, what kinds of things are you guys mobilizing? What's what's actually going on when rubber hits the road?
0: Well, you have a number. You know, in the fleet that we work with, there's about sixteen hundred mobile vehicles nationwide. You have kitchens that will produce thirty thousand meals a day on a parking lot. You know, then, then you've got uh, trailers that have chainsaws and equipment to do uh, cutting debris off of houses and out of driveways and off of roads and things like that. You have the tools that do mud out where you clean out. We have shower trailers so we can set up a showers on parking lot that our volunteers can have showers. We, you know, we have laundry trailers. We have mobile command posts that gives us the ability to communicate with internet, telephones, all those kinds of things that gives us that capacity as well. You have equipment, uh, the tools uh, that are needed. So you just keep going, the satellite dish on top of the truck. All those kinds of things are a part of our fleet that we're able to use, but they also bring roll roofing. Uh, it's the things that you can use to temporarily patch a roof until a permanent roof can be put on a house so there's not continued deterioration in the home. So, you know, you have buckets of hope, we call it. Materials that are inside of a five-gallon bucket can be used by a homeowner to help clean their home and begin that process. You have Shockwave, which is a a branded product that gives us the ability to mitigate mold in a home. When you have a flood you have tremendous amount of mold you oh, tear it out. i know
1: that i, I mean yeah. i haven't had this kind of flooding but i just had my house flooded <laughs> yeah i know this
0: <laughs> that black mold you know it can be deadly for people yeah. with lung diseases and things like that well literally we bring truckloads of that in that we can mix it and then spray it into the homes to kill the mold uh you know all that kind of a things the equipment that's needed to not only mud out Long term, then you move into the rebuild aspect. We're not there yet in that process. And and depending on what, I've got meetings next week to begin to look at that. But that's another whole component that can happen into the future. But, I mean, those are the kind of things that are in the equipment. Water, uh, you know, bottles of water that can be used. You know, on and on I could go with those kind of resources that come in.
1: Okay. Awesome. So, okay. So, um, looking at all those things, um, what has been, you know, cause you're really in many senses, um, you are a missionary. I mean, that, you know, living in an RV, you know, traveling, hitting the road, you're, you're, uh, you're transcontinental missionary here. Um, what are some of the ways, you know, cause church planners, I, I like that there's these two halves, you know, sin network has, the sin relief and then the, the, the church planning branch. Um, how do these work together? If, if, if I'm talking to a church planter in his first year, um, what can he do when he's watching the news and he's thinking, well, I'm planting my church, but you know, how can I get, how do, what do I do? Like, how do I help sin relief? And he's, he's on the other side. Let's say he's in California or Oregon and he's, he's nowhere near you know, where the action's happening? What, what can a church planner do?
0: Well, you can always get a team of five, eight, 10, 12, 15 people. I mean, we've had them as high as last week. We had a team of 60 people come in, but you can get a team come in and spend three, five days with us, something like that, where we will assign you the opportunity to work in homes to do the type of work that is needed. That's one thing that you can do, but you can pray, Literally pray for the gospel conversations that need to be taking place and that can take place. Uh, There's always the opportunity of giving and sharing and the resources that are needed. I mean, you know, it's pretty expensive to do the kind of work we do. Uh, One roll of plastic that would be the roll roofing could cost $190. You look at the the shockwave, a truckload, and we use truckloads of that, you know, that's over $200,000. I mean, you just start multiplying the kind of resources we need the cost that we need uh, those kind of things are there so the financial, the praying and then the going, coming on to be a part of us as well uh, those are things that we can do if you're in the community close by, come join us walk with us day in and day out we had one that worked with us in New York when we left, he donned one of the gold shirts that we had that were wearing at that time went back into the communities and doors opened in the community that had never opened before Right. That he can have conversations with them. So there's a lot of opportunities there as well.
1: Right. That's excellent. Well, hey, one of the things that we always do, Mickey, is we always kind of pit uh, you know, each of our guests against someone else in the church planning world. Um, but I'm having a hard time figuring out who I can pit you against. Normally involves a fist fight between you and someone else. It's just part of our, our, our church planning uh hardcore church planning question. Like, for example, I had Dustin Willis on him, and I made him fight Daniel M. But uh, Ed Stetzer fights people. Everybody fights people. But I'm guessing, after talking to you, that you're probably, you know, you, you're you're going to help people. You don't really want to fight anybody,
0: right? No, not a fighter. <laughs> not a fighter.
1: <laughs> Even though it's a funny question, brother, it just doesn't seem appropriate to ask you. So, yeah. anyways, brother, it what's that?
0: When I get scared, I start talking, and if that doesn't work, then I run.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That is the wisest thing I've ever heard because, let me tell you something, when uh, I I opened my new book talking about a a bad beating I got from a rugby player over in the UK when I was a missionary there, and uh, that brother beat my head into the ground so bad he knocked me out cold, and uh, my brother said to me after he goes, well, I hope you learned a valuable lesson. And I said, what was that? He said, next time run. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, Hey, my guest today has been Mickey Kaysen with the North American mission board, director of mobilization operations in Houston, a part of the, or the uh, director of the response team there. Um, thank you so, so much, Mickey for opening up all that you guys do. And thank you so much for being there.
0: My privilege, just realize this is just one area that Sin Relief is a part of. There's many more compassion ministries that are out there that it's champion and asking people to step into. But we love the fact that we can partner with church planning to do the things that the gospels told us to do.
1: Amen. Amen. Well, hey, this has been Hardcore Church Planning. You can check out the Sin Relief Network at nam.net And Arnold, sign us out.
0: Remember, if you are called to church planting, go hardcore or go home. You've been listening to Hardcore Church
1: Planning. Hardcore Church Planting has been brought to you by the Church Planner Podcast and the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the App Store for both Apple and Android devices. If you like this episode, leave us a positive review. If you didn't like this episode, we'll be happy to give you your money back.